Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Well, I know that today I'm preaching the right message because I arrived here. I was in the green room really quick right before I was coming out and I'm listening and I hear Pastor Samuel get on stage and begin to talk about the centurion, which is my message. And I just thought, so good to have some confirmation. We're hearing from the Lord. The title of my message today is called Don't Be Beggars, Be Commanders. Don't be a beggar, be a commander. When I was praying about Freedom Sunday and I was was praying about just even in this last season, I just felt God saying to me, I don't think people understand the authority they have been given. I don't think we fully understand the authority that we have been given through Jesus. And I I want to minister today because I think that we can bind devils and tell all kinds of darkness to flee when we understand who we are and the authority that we've been given. And I, I did a little research actually on this centurion because like Pastor Samuel said, it's very fascinating in the book of Luke. When we talk about the centurion, he was a Roman soldier. Most likely he was not of faith. He wasn't Jewish. Um, and so, but he hears about Jesus. It's very fascinating. So I just did a little research on this centurion. I'm going to share what I found. It says this, centurions, and the reason why I want us to understand a little bit about the centurion is I want you to picture yourself today in the eyes of, of a centurion. So I thought we need to know what a centurion is. So centurions were officers in the army of ancient Rome. Centurions got their name because they commanded 100 men. These officers were commanders. Various paths led to becoming a centurion. Some were appointed by the Senate or emperor. Others were elected by their comrades. But most were enlisted men promoted through the ranks after 15 to 20 years of service. So don't feel bad. Sometimes it takes us a little bit of time to understand what kind of authority we have. And it says, as company commanders, they held important responsibilities, including training, giving out assignments, maintaining discipline in the ranks. When the army encamped, centurions supervised the building of fortifications, a crucial duty in the enemy territory. They also escorted prisoners, procured food and supplies when the army was on the move. Then it said this, in battle, centurions stood on the front line. How many know we as Christians, we're front line people. In the battle, centurions stood on the front line leading their men. They were not following. They were leading. They were expected to be courageous. Somebody say courageous. Rallying the troops during tough fighting. Cowards could be executed. Whoa, this is, this is extreme, okay? Cowards could be executed. Julius Caesar considered these officers so vital to his success that he included them in his strategy sessions. Commanders are people of wisdom. Ex-centurions were sometimes recruited to command auxiliary or mercenary troops in the various lands that Rome had conquered. Do we get the picture of what a centurion is? Okay, now we're going to read that scripture that we heard earlier from Pastor Samuel. Luke 7, 1 through 9. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, so Jesus was preaching and teaching, he said to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. 
There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal the servant. So Roman centurion hears of this Jesus, finds some Jewish people that might understand some things, and tells them to go. And so he says, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, these are the the religious people that the centurion sent out. He says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded. Another version says they begged earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. I find that fascinating. The centurion did not ask them to beg. We just read the scripture. He told them to go and ask Jesus to come and to heal his servant. Why did the Christian people of the day, why did the Jewish religious people who should know who Jesus is come begging the centurions didn't ask him to do ask them to do that. Now I love Jesus. He's compassionate and he's wonderful. And he's like, he's moved by compassion. He's like, okay, I'm gonna go with you. So he goes. And this is what it says. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve for you to even come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. Somebody say, say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes and that one to come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith. Somebody say faith. Even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. And I read this message, and something in my spirit rose up, and I started to realize, I don't want to be here begging God for things that he's already given me authority over. I don't want just the hand of Jesus to be moved and to be with me, but I want miracles, signs, and wonders to be evident in my life. I don't want to be like a Christian who doesn't understand their authority and begin to beg when I can be like the centurion who grasped just a portion of who Jesus was and at a word. Now, how amazing, because I look at all of this and I think authority, which it is, but Jesus attributed that authority of the centurion to faith. So authority equals faith when we understand what we have in Jesus. Point number one, live and act as commanders, not beggars. Why do we live sometimes as beggars instead of commanders? Why are we begging God to heal us? Why are we begging God to make the torment stop? Why are we begging God to change our finances? Why are we begging God? I imagine that Jesus is in heaven like very frustrated. (laughs) Like, Okay, great. Okay, you're coming to me. Good. (laughs) But I've given you so much more than that. Because the Bible says that, that, that we would do more than what Jesus did on earth. I don't know if you've read your Bible anytime soon. We're reading the Bible in a year, but I'm already the first couple chapters in and Jesus is doing a whole lot. 
And he says that we will do even more. It says in John 14, 12, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me and will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus told devils to leave, and they left. Jesus commanded healing, and healing came. I mean, Jesus, he, he was raising people from the dead. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Don't worry, I'm preaching this message to myself. Like, come on. And I love it. You know, when I um, first came to Awaken Church eons and eons ago, I've been here for like 15 years, so it's been a long time. But when I first came to church, I was so pumped to be here. When I found Awaken, I will never forget. I, I came into Awaken, and I had grown up, you know, I was originally from New York, moved to the mission field at 12 years old with my family as missionaries to Ecuador, came back to the U.S., went to college, came to San Diego, been to all kinds of different churches. I actually had a prophetic word that I would find a church just like this. I had a prophetic word that I would find an apostolic church that would move in the gifts of the spirits and that they would usher me in and I would be part of, of building that house. And when I came, I knew it was this house. And that was back when there was 200 people. Now we have seven campuses, 8,500, 10,000 people coming. I mean, it's extraordinary. But when I was coming, it was just the beginnings. And, and I remember I came and I was like, oh, this is so amazing. I love it. The preaching, the teaching, the ministry, the worship. I'm loving it all. And then, you know, I started to, like, gain some traction. And we hear it all the time, like, oh, new levels, new devils, right? Well, the devil does try to intimidate us. The devil does try to make himself what he is not because he's a liar, and so I remember one um, night, this was in the first year of my coming to church, and I went to sleep. It was seemingly an ordinary night, and I go to bed that night, nothing unusual, but all of a sudden, at like 2, 3 in the morning, I wake up startled, and it was like the temperature in my room went from normal to very, very cold. It was freezing, and I wake up, and I'm startled, and I could feel an evil presence, and I began, and I look, and I, I remember looking into the corner of my room and I see what I can only describe as like, it looked like a black panther, this form. And, and all of a sudden it pounced one, two, three, and on top of me. And I felt this, and I, all of a sudden, that's so funny that that thing started going right when I talked about an evil panther. I don't know. I'm just going to ignore the devil in the name of Jesus. Anyways, and so I'm, so I'm there, and all of a sudden, one, two, three, this thing pounces and is, is on me, and, it's, and I, I see these two beady little eyes looking at me, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but, but all of a sudden, I couldn't move, and, and I was trying to speak, and I couldn't speak, and, I, and I, was tr I was trying with all of my might, and I couldn't, and then these beady little eyes had a voice, and the voice said, Stacy, and I'm like, oh, it knows my name, and it was like, Stacy, you will not prophesy. That's what it said. And I remember everything with my, in my being. And all of a sudden, I began to pray in tongues in a language not known to me, but known to God, a prayer language. And I began to pray in the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, I was able to speak. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I will prophesy. I will speak out. I command you, devil, to leave and to never come back and mess with me again. And I, like, rose up. And I was then going from my room into all the other rooms. And I was like, oh, no, you didn't, devil you better leave. I don't ever remember that devil again. Um, but there are times 
in our life, right when we begin to start to gain traction, that the devil will come and try to intimidate us. The Bible says it comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, meaning he doesn't devour everyone. Well, I'm not going to be the one he devours. I made a decision as a Christian. Oh, no, you didn't, devil. And so sometimes we need to be reminded that he isn't a roaring lion. He's probably a little kitten. Some of them are evil. You've seen them. I just got to tell him to leave. Um, Point number two, don't use your authority to be wicked. Use your authority over wickedness. I think it needs to be said because do wicked people use their authority badly? Yeah, all the time. All the time. In fact, give someone, give any person a little power, a little authority, and you will see what they're made of. Are they pure of motive? Do they really want the best of intent? Or do they get a little bit of authority and power and want to dominate and squash? It's amazing. So, so no, we, we don't use our authority with wickedness. We use our authority over wickedness as Christians. And the Bible says that our fight is not against flesh and blood. But sometimes we think it is, don't we? We're like, oh, that person. Oh, that family member just trying to keep me down. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Some of us need to take a deep breath. In fact, this morning, let's all just take a deep breath. (sighs) Maybe it's not the person. Maybe it's the spirit behind the person. Maybe we need to not argue. Maybe we need to pray. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. There is a battle going on. We do need to be like enlisted officers and commanders because there is a battle between good and evil. If the last couple years has taught us anything is that that battle is real and it's on our doorstep and it's time for us to rise up in our authority, to know right from wrong and evil from good. And so it's not just people, it's a spiritual battle. But the Bible says that he has given us the keys of the kingdom, that, that he's given us this authority. And um, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I remember, you know, way back in the day when I was a teenager, um, and uh, I remember my parents, uh, we were living in Ecuador. There were four of us kids. My sister and I are 11 months apart, so we're like the dynamic duo. And... Um, We were maybe 14 or 15 or 15 and 16, I can't remember, and my parents were going on uh, vacation. In fact, it was supposed to be a whole family vacation, but my sister and I were like, hey, so how about you go on vacation with our younger brothers, and like, we stay here, and we're like, because we just really don't want to go on this vacation. We would rather stay here. You guys go. That'd be great. And my parents are like, are you kidding me? You know, and so we're going back and forth. And we were good influencing, convincing teenagers, okay? And so for whatever reason, my parents finally agree. And they're like, all right, fine. Like, you don't want to go have fun. Like, we don't want you to come and not, not, you know, bring us down. So you know what? You stay here. It's fine. And so they choose to leave. So my parents give us the keys to the kingdom, my parents give us the keys. They, their authority, they ruled and reigned over that house.
house, but they were going away and they handed us the keys. Now, my sister and I had some decisions to make because the truth is when you're given authority, you choose what you allow in and what you tell to go out. Now, my parents had kept a very peaceful household and now those keys were given to us. Oh, Lord, everyone that has a teenager and child in this building, or you were a teenager and you remember yourself. And so they hand us the keys. Well, I mean, by the time my parents leave the house, my sister and I have pulled out every phone number known to mankind. And we are like, it is time for a house party. Like, we are so pumped. You're talking about two very extrovert kids, okay? And so my sister and I are like, awesome. We are going to invite everybody we know, and then we'll tell them to invite their friends, and we can meet more people. And we're just going to have everybody over the house. And so, I mean, they leave, and our house is open. And we were just like, no regulation. We let everyone in. Well, um, that was an interesting night. Um, so, you know, we let all these people in. I mean, next thing you know, I mean, it's just alcohol and cigarettes everywhere. And, um, you know, getting a little bit, everything's a little bit out of control. Now, thank God that God is God and he does protect his kids. And um, his hand was definitely on us that things could have gone way wrong. Um, but we, we partied through the night. I mean, we had the music going. We had dancing. We had it all. And all through the night. And then the next day, we're like, all of a sudden, it kind of like hits us like, oh, gosh, what if mom and dad like check on us or something? Like, we need to be careful. Like, our house is still full of people. And so we're like, oh, my goodness. So we're like, okay. So we like tell everyone, like, you guys got to leave. You got to go. And literally, everybody starts leaving our house in the morning. And, um, and my sister and I are looking around, and it looked like, I mean, I don't even understand what happened to the house. And as we're looking around, just like, what just happened, we get a phone call. And my parents, who are Christian, said, mm, you know what? I just felt like something was off, and we're almost home. <sighs> Every teenager's nightmare. We're like, what? <sighs> Prophetic Christian parents, y'all are beautiful. Like, you sense the Holy Spirit. Go with that. And so they did. They were beautiful. They didn't accuse us. They didn't tell. I just feel something's a little off. I don't know why they called us and gave us a heads up, but glory of the Lord, we just start to clean everything known to mankind as quickly as humanly possible. Um, so much so that we are, and we are finding like cigarettes on the top of the refrigerator. I'm like, how did this even get here? Like, what are people doing? And so we're cleaning everything and we get like the last bit of trash. And literally we are like, it smells, right? So we're like hosing like the place, like anything and everything. I never used so much Clorox in all my life. All of a sudden we knew how to clean as teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, just saying. Miracles happen. My parents arrive at the house just as we bring the last piece of trash out. We're like, score. And so obviously they come, authority comes back in. They take the keys back. We are convicted in spirit, so we run out of the house. And we're like, oh, we're going to a friend's house. I'm so glad you're back. Everything's fine. And so we leave, um, go to our friend's house. And within five minutes, we get the phone call. Uh, Deanna and Stacy, I'm going to need you to come home right now. Dear God. So we did like any good teenager and blamed it on all our friends. 
they made us. Um, and we learned a very big lesson that day. And that day, my parents took authority back from the house. And we learned a good lesson of what do we allow? See, we will bring heaven or hell inside of our home. But the choice is ours. Sometimes we're begging God for what we have consciously chosen to open up. So some of us need to repent and close the door. Is it okay? I'm just preaching like it is. Okay. We can't always blame the devil for our poor choices. And there are times when life happens to us. It happens to us all. There's good things that, there's bad things that happen to good people all the time. But there are times in our life also where we are allowing things to walk into our life. I remember one time I was, um, you know, at, at one of our campuses and there was a girl that kept coming forward on an altar call. And for whatever reason, I kept getting her as the person to pray for her. And she would share her story of how she was just living in extreme torment. And she would pray. She was like, can you pray that my boyfriend will just become a wonderful Prince Charming Christian? And she would always pray, want me to pray for these things. And then finally, I like wised up. And she comes to the altar with the same prayer request. And I just stopped and I said, hey, sweetheart. I said, listen, you keep coming to have your boyfriend be changed and become a Christian and become Prince Charming, and you're living in torment. I mean, she was tormented. And I said, listen, I got to ask you a question. She's like, yes. I'm like, are you sleeping with your boyfriend? And she's like, yeah, I am. And I said, well, sweetheart, you just opened a door for, for, for torment. I can't pray a pretty little prayer and, and, and expect that your boyfriend's going to shift and change when you have not risen in your own authority, put some boundaries in, live by the principles of God to then give him an opportunity to see truth, to see something different. I said, just maybe, just maybe when you rise up and start living the word of God, because right now you're not living under a covenant, you're living under a curse. And curses bring bad things into our lives. It's real. And so I said, listen, I said, what you need to do is you need to go home and you need to repent to your boyfriend. And then you need to rise up a sinner and say, we're not going to do this anymore. I said, that's going to distinguish you as a Christian. Then your boyfriend will have the opportunity to decide. Does he want to become a Christian? Does he want to respect the boundaries that you have put in? Will he then become the Prince Charming that you have been praying on this altar every week to become? Or do you need to close that door and allow God to bring another Prince Charming to you? Either way, you have the keys to the kingdom. Either way. Friends, in marriages, you may be under a covenant, but what have you allowed into your home? What has been allowed there to live? What is bringing torment? Maybe you're under the covenant, but you've allowed all kinds of atrocities into your marriage, how you speak to one another, how you behave to one another. What is allowed? We've got to take the keys back. We've got to, and, and I know this isn't popular preaching, but sometimes we just need to be aware to then have the opportunity to repent. Repentance feels really good. When you repent, there's a big difference between conviction and shame. And nowadays, people are confusing the two. The Holy Spirit convicts when we are outside of his purposes. And that's a good thing. Now, we don't live in shame holding our head down and looking into dust and dirt for the rest of our days. But what we can do is allow the conviction of God to become aware of some things that we've allowed, repent, close the door, and then live in victory. Can I get an amen? Okay, where am I? Okay. 
Okay, so many things, so many things. Okay, point number three, we have been given more authority than we realize. Somebody say, we have been given more authority than I have realized. Psalms 8, 1 through 9. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read it in the Passion Version because I think it's so beautiful the way God describes how much he has actually given us opportunity to have authority over and under. It says this, Yahweh, our sovereign God, your glory streams from the heavens above, filling the earth with the majesty of your name. People everywhere see your splendor. You've built a stronghold by the songs of children. Strength rises up with the chorus of infants. This kind of praise has power to shut Satan's mouth. Childlike worship will silence the madness of those who oppose you. Let, look at the splendor of your skies, your creative genius glowing in the heavens. When I gaze at your moon and your stars, mounted like jewels in their settings, I know you are the fascinating artist who fashioned it all. But I have to ask this question. Why would you bother with puny mortal man or care about human beings? And then listen to this. It says, yet what honor you have given to men created only a little lower than Elohim. God himself crowned with glory and magnificence. You have delegated to them, that's to us, the rulership over all. Somebody say over all. Over all you have made with everything under their authority. Somebody say everything under. So we have rulership over everything he made. And we have authority with anything that should be under our feet. Somebody say over and under. Placing earth itself under the feet of your image bearers. All the created order and every living thing on the earth, sky, and sea, the wildest beasts and all that move in the paths of the sea, everything is in submission to Adam's sons. That's us. We're the kids of Adam and Eve. The wild beasts and all that move in the paths of the sea, everything is in submission to Adam's sons. Yahweh, our sovereign God, your glory streams from the heavens above, filling the earth with the majesty of your name. People everywhere see your splendor. Psalm 8, 6, you have made him to have dominion. Other versions say ruler over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Some people say, you know, uh, bigger levels, bigger devils. And it's just annoying to me sometimes, I'm going to be honest. I'm like, yeah, bigger, like, yeah, we have bigger levels, bigger devils, and more authority than we realize. Bigger devils are no big deal when you have enough authority to go, you know what? You get to be under my feet. That's where you belong. God has made us to be like Adam, to be rulers over everything that God has made. And God put all authority under us. The Bible says this in Psalm 110.1, the Lord says to the Lord. And so I had to look that up. I'm like, the Lord says to the Lord, but this is the meaning. The Lord, Father, says to the Lord, the Messiah, his son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, subjugating them into complete submission. I looked up the word subjugating, and it means this, to bring under control and governess as subject to conquer. God is saying, let me help you make your enemies to be your footstool, subjugating them into complete commission or complete submission. What does that mean? I love God's imagery because he's like, they're not just under your feet. Like they are crushed. These things that are trying to met with you. And what do you do with a footstool? 
you sit back in your big, comfy chair, and you put your feet up on your footstool, and you tell your kids and your grandkids and your friends of all the stories of the days that you conquered. You sit there and you realize every evil thing that must be is under my feet. And you and I, my friends, will then begin to tell the stories of victories to those that surround us to bring hope and freedom to those that surround us. My last point is point number four. Authority equals faith. Authority is spelled F-A-I-T-H. Luke 7, 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Imagine, imagine Jesus to be amazed at your faith. Amazed at him, turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in all of Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant healed. Do we have faith like the centurion? That when something is dying in our life, when we think that something is too far gone, that when we see affliction and hardship, that we don't look at it and just let it die, but instead we go, at your word, oh God. I will rise in my faith to see that devil under my feet. No longer will I live in poverty, but I will live in abundance in the name of Jesus. No longer will I be afflicted by sickness and infirmity, but God, you are the God that heals me. Lord God, though my parents and my grandparents have been afflicted with, with, with generational junk that has come down through the family, not, it stops at me. I am the breaker. I will break off. I will take the authority back in my generation so that my legacy, so that the people under me will know the kind of keys that they hold in their hand, that they can live in freedom. It is time for freedom for our Christians. It is time to live free in the name of Jesus. You know, just recently I I could tell so many stories of freedom lines, but the one that, that comes to mind is uh, very recently, my mother um, had been going through a cancer battle for eight years. She had chronic leukemia. At one point, the doctor said that 73% of her cells were compromised. Now, my mom was a Christian when she got cancer. And this is really fascinating. She said to me, she said, Stacy, you know what? I've had bad days and I have had good days, but you know what I've never had? Fear. I said, what? How is that? How is that possible? And she said, because Jesus is my savior yesterday, today, and forever. And faith is the evidence of things, not the evidence of faith is going to be my healing, is what she said. The evidence of my faith will be my healing. And whether he heals me now or he heals me later, I will be healed. I know that he can do it. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, she said, I will, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they went into the fire, they said, I know my God will set me free. But even if he doesn't, I know that he can. And I will not bow down. And my mother felt the same. I won't bow to sickness. I won't bow to evil. I know. Went to the doctors and 
she got the report and on the report it says, we find no sickness in your body. She is completely and totally healed in the name of Jesus. And I know some people here are thinking and she actually got a few messages like, oh, so great for you. You got healed, you believe, but I'm here with my cancer and listen, did I be him? We're not our own gods. Isn't that an interesting thought? He's so extraordinary, so vast, supernatural is above the natural. It's beyond our comprehension. Can we come to a maturity in Christianity where if God does what we want him to do or not, he's still God. And I felt the same way. I'm like, God, I know you can do these miracles in my life, but if they didn't happen, guess what? I still am going to be a Christian. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to live for you. I know that you can and that you will. But even if you don't, yet will I live for you. Can we all stand to our feet today? I think it's time. It's Freedom Sunday. And I think it's time to evict some squatters. I was reminded of that. Do you know that squatter by definition is, is people that live on a property to which they have no title, no right, no lease. They have no right. Who have we let in? What creeping, crawling thing, what devil, what darkness, what sin have we meddled with that it is time to say, I'm closing the door on the things that I know are not okay. And listen, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus died for our yesterday, our today, and our forever. So I'm not preaching some weird version of perfection. All I'm saying is, could we come today to an altar and go, God, bring to remembrance everything that I have been entangled in, that I have allowed in to my house, that I have the authority to my house, to my temple, and I have allowed some evil in. Could I repent? Could I let it go today? And then could I rise in my authority and tell every single thing that is not of God to go away, to get out in the name of Jesus. Jesus cast out devils all the time. It's what he did on earth. We can do the same and more and we can live free. So this is what I want to do today. I want you, if you're like, Stacy, you know what? It's time. It's time for me to let it go. It's time for me to stand in my rightful place and authority. I want to do this. I want an action to our words and our thoughts, not to just think things, but to actually participate. I'm going to open up the altar right here, and I want you just to come forward. I'm going to corporately pray for us all. I'm going to pray, and we're going to bind some devils, and we're going to tell some things to lead, because I don't want to think about evil and darkness without cleaning house. And you better believe that should be a lot of us. So if you need to step into the aisles, you need to just step outside of where you are, just step outside of where you are. Let God do a new thing. The Bible says, behold, the old is gone and the new has come. Let's let the old go. Let's let that old patterns of thought, those old paradigms, those old things that have been entangling us and messing with us, let's tell them to leave in the name of Jesus. And I really felt this morning and wonderful ministers. I want us all to know how to rise in our authority and tell devils to leave in the name of Jesus. So we're going to do this together, church. We're going to get free together. That's what a family does. We're going to get free together. And I'm just going to ask this question real quick because we can only rise in our authority in Jesus because we're not rising in our own authority.
party. The reason I get so confident is not because I'm confident in me. In fact, I know me. And it's an extraordinary miracle that I'm on this stage today. It's an extraordinary miracle that I am who I am, but for the grace of God. So I want to ask this question, are you saved? Have you invited Jesus into your heart? Because it is through Jesus that we accept and receive the authority that he gave us. We can't just yell louder, scream harder. In fact, we don't need to. When you have authority in Jesus, you realize so much that it's him and not you, that you can just say the words and that evil can flee. Many of us know Pastor Pam Strickler, I love her because she's the sweetest, wonderful, uh, mature woman. And when she, but when she speaks, she just tells them to leave, and they do. Why? She doesn't have to get all crazy and all, no, because she just knows her authority. Devil, you leave in the name of Jesus in her sweet voice. What is your personality? Use it. You don't have to become somebody different to tell a devil to leave. You get to be you and tell a devil to leave. But if you're in this place and you haven't made that decision to receive of Jesus, or it's been a very long time and you're like, it's time for me to come back to my Savior and receive the authority that is given. Would you just give me a wave and I'm just going to pray for you. And then we're going to pray for all that darkness to leave in the name of Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. If there's anyone else. Just raise your hand up real nice and high so I can see it, so I know who I'm praying for. I see you up in the back. Wonderful. We're going to pray a quick prayer to receive of Jesus, and then we're going to all pray and see some devils leave in the name of Jesus. Everybody just repeat after me. Thank you, God. Come on, let me hear it. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins my darkness I thank you Jesus that you died and that you rose again three days later with resurrection power and I thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to be with me always and I receive every good gift from heaven above in your name, I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. All right, now everybody just raise your hands to the heavens. Raising our hands is just a sign of surrender. We are surrendering not to our will, but to the will of God in our life. We are surrendering our own to give God space and room to begin to move. And if you're on the altar or you're in your seat, just begin to pray. Just begin to cry out. If you speak in a prayer language, begin to speak in your prayer language right now. The Bible says to stir yourself up in the Holy Ghost, in the Spirit of God, where there is freedom. When the Holy Spirit comes, freedom comes. He's the giver of life and life in abundance. And then when you feel ready, when you receive some of that power, some of that authority, remember who you are. You are the Son. You are the daughter of God himself. You are the centurion. You are the commander. The actual word of faith. Devils will flee in the name of Jesus. I want you to rise in your authority and in our own language, in English. I want you to start to tell whatever devil has been afflicting you to leave. In the name of Jesus, you tell them to leave. You have to speak it out. This is not just a pretty thought. This is that we speak out. Do you know that the devil and demons cannot read our thoughts 
only God can. He can't read our thoughts. So you have to speak out in your language to tell a devil to leave. And he has to obey you because remember, the devil is under our feet. We make them to be a footstool that we could put our feet up. And those devils are under our feet in the name of Jesus right now. Lord God, we thank you that you are true to your spirit, oh Father. We thank you that you are the one, the true, the only God. Lord, we thank you that our allegiance is to you, oh Father. And oh God, just like the centurion, we rise up in the name of Jesus right now. We bind and we break fear right now in the name of Jesus. We tell you to leave. Anxiety, shame, you leave right now. In the name of Jesus, I speak to you, tormenting devils, in the day and in the night, in households and in properties. Right now, I tell you to leave. In the name of Jesus, I speak to every generational stronghold. Right now, a hold that has been so strong that today we unite our faith with Jesus. And today we put a stop to the family line that has been wicked right now in the name of Jesus. We bind and we break every generational stronghold. We say no more. It stops with us in the name of Jesus. I speak to you devils of poverty mindset in the name of Jesus and I say leave right now in the name of Jesus. I speak to the people that have had even suicidal thought and I say no more in the name of Jesus. You devils flee right now. You flee off of minds right now. Our minds are the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have peace that surpasses all understanding. Come on right now, rise up in your own spirit. We're gonna have the worship team play and I just want you to begin to find in your own language, in your own words and tell those devils to flee in the name of Jesus, come on. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.